Imagine a world where you knew that you mattered and you belonged. The people cared about you because we were so darn good at listening to one another, no matter how different we are. That is what Sidewalk Talk is doing by putting listeners on sidewalks all over the world so that we can practice the art of connecting. Join me, founder and director Tracy Rubel, as I interview experts on the fine art of human connection and interview some of our volunteers who've been listening on the sidewalk and even some of the folks that we've listened to. And if you want to volunteer, consider joining us at sidewalk-talk.org. You know, it's funny, I recorded this interview with Lammers Fisher, who's a therapist and has a master's in divinity, um, on a weekend. And I wasn't, I'm like, oh man, I don't want to. And then as soon as his face popped up on Zoom, his smile, and then we immediately connected so heartfeltly across our commitment to get people to really listen deeply when things are hard. So Lammers is, Lammers Fisher is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He's been working with clients for over 19 years. We both geeked out that we love working with couples. Um, He's actually counseled individuals, couples, and families from a variety of cultural backgrounds in private practice, as well as in corporate life, working with nonprofit and ministry environments. He's got this very encouraging and shame-free training called Diversity Made Simple, and I actually heard about him from someone that took his training, because a lot of these trainings have a lot of shame built into them, which is not my jam. And his trainings have really equipped professionals in a bunch of fields around the country in their efforts to improve their own cultural self-awareness, to increase their confidence in their diversity competence, as well as strengthen and repair our personal and professional relationships. And I think for anybody that wants to be a better listener, what he's really offering you is how to soften inside and, and understand how to listen to yourself and others more deeply without so much bias sort of getting in the way and blocking the connection. So I'm excited to introduce you to Lammers Fisher, and in the show notes, you will also be able to find out more information about him. And he also was a guest for a short 15-minute interview on Facebook Live uh, at the end of 2020, which you can also watch and see him on video. All right, Lammers Fisher. Lammers, I'm so excited to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. You know, there's a particular way that I hunt for people to come teach us on the Sidewalk Talk podcast. And there is a woman in my community. Her name is BJ. She's in her 70s. She's a retired social worker. She's Jewish. She's fierce about justice. And she's also persnickety about people having mad skills. And she was singing your praises. And I'm like, I got to find out who this is because whatever BJ says, I listen to. So that's how I found you. And tell us a little bit about you and what started you in, in this work that you're doing. Well, I, I, my, my main passion is uh, marriage counseling. I started off uh, as a kid seeing broken uh, homes and families of uh, mine in particular. See, my parents get divorced a long time ago. And once I saw how rampant it was, I knew that I wanted to have a relationship that uh, stood the test of time, that not was perfect, 
but that endured ups and downs. And then I realized there was a career of marriage and family therapy that said, wait a minute, I can learn how to do it myself and help other people strengthen their relationships too. sign me up. Uh, and I've been doing that for the past uh, 18 years or so. Uh, and it's through that time of helping couples and families navigate differences, differences that they feel uh, are significant enough to be deal breakers, divides to say, I, I love you, I care about you, but our differences are getting in the way to help them maximize their similarities and their differences, to find the inconveniences and the, and the conveniences and to say, yes, we're different, but that doesn't have to be a barrier. We can still use those to enhance our relationships uh, for, for a lifetime. And it wasn't until I started to see that similarity play out in real life beyond marriage relationships that I said, that I started to realize, wait, these same skills that are working within the family can work outside the family, can work with businesses, can work with churches, can work with community members. There are similar divides. People are seeing differences and assuming that they have to be deal breakers. I just can't understand you. We're just too different. Uh, this factor, this factor, cultural, uh, ethnicity stuff, um, gender stuff, uh, faith beliefs, a whole lot of stuff that, that is significant to us, but that um, are differences that don't have to be divides. We can say, yes, we're different, but we also have similarities. And it's been cultivating that that led me to uh, the diversity trainings that I get a chance to do uh, across the country through my uh, diversity made simple trainings for helping professionals that started off with mental health professionals, but now have expanded to faith leaders, uh, politicians, law enforcement, helping people to identify themselves culturally and also see them see other people, not for label purposes, but to say, who am I and who are you and how can I interact with you in a healthy way so that we can solve life problems together? Gorgeous. Wow. That's great. I already know that there are going to be lots of churches and some of our members that are going to be calling you because we've got lots of therapists in our community. You know, there's something about how you're talking about difference, though, that's kind of that's that's not very in vogue, because what seems to be in vogue from my perspective anyway is is what I would call call out culture, cancel culture, self-righteousness. Priv- uh, performativeness, you know, all that, all those, those buzzwords. And you're a black man. So yes. to me, you should be the first person that should be promoting, you know, anger rather than, you know, unity. Sure, sure. And, and, and that would be fair. And there is a place for that. As a, as a therapist, I create safe places for uh, expressing those feelings, identifying what those feelings are to a lot of people who haven't found healthy ways of expressing those feelings, identifying them and expressing them. But then there's a challenge of while there's merit to that, there's place for that, there's warranted space for even unhealthily expressed feelings that need to be expressed. But then after that, where does change come in? Where does transition come in? If it's only about the expression of those feelings, then we're just preparing ourselves to experience those same things again. But at some point, we need to be able to say, what is it that contributed to that? What is it that contributed to that which you found offensive? And if somebody else can then come along and help them realize what was offensive about it, why they did it, why it was offensive to somebody else, and to help find unifying ways to say, I don't want to do that again. Maybe I can do something different. Then we don't have to cancel other people. We don't have to cancel businesses. We don't have to cancel people. We can help bring about change. Because if we're not willing to bring about change, then we're just perpetuating the same thing. Mm-hmm. So that's what I try to do as far as uh, whether it be helping the people who are trying to make that change or helping the helpers to be able to uh, at least create a safe place for if we just exile everybody, eventually we're going to run out of people. 
as opposed to helping to transform through relationship, not out of judgment, but out of encouragement, not either you change or you're a horrible person and transition that to how can you take the genuine considerateness you're trying to convey anyway and inform it in the way that you can help reduce the likelihood of those unintentional offenses along the way. So I'm going to reflect back what I'm hearing you say. I'm hearing you say that you deeply honor people's need for catharsis, people's need to share what's happening in their heart. But you're saying, I don't want us to stop there, though. So what I first do is I create a safe space for all of those messy feelings to come out because we need to have them come out. But then you want them to get on that train of change. So because catharsis, I'm hearing you say, isn't enough. We've got to then look at meaningful change. Is that, am I getting that right? That's a, that's a very good way of putting it. And a lot of times the choice is either one or the other. No, it's about feelings. No, it's about change. And it's actually about both. You can't discount one for the other. But if we embrace that, that combination, then every person we're sitting with, we're talking with and helping them get that catharsis, then we're helping cr- uh, uh, create a path for them to be open to that change. And a lot of times the reason why that change doesn't happen is because they've had to defend their feelings. It's almost like we're spending too much time defending the legitimacy of our feelings. And they are legitimate, but we shouldn't have to defend it. That should be a norm. Uh, And I want to try to create that in homes, on on the sidewalk, as it were, to get that feeling heard and expressed. So I can say, ah, now that I've got that out, now that I I, I received the opportunity to identify what I feel and then express it in a healthy way, now, what, what is this about change you were talking about? See, I wasn't able to hear it before, but now from a safer place, I'm open to that. And then we can have a whole different conversation. I love that. So it's almost like when we hear each other's feelings, everything about what's going on inside of me softens and I'm more willing to change. There you go. There you go. And if we do it out of respect, not as a a, uh, a, ca- uh, a casual prerequisite, okay, okay, say what you have to say. Now, can we get to my point? It's like, no, we have to cultivate that. We have to show genuine care. We have to show a genuine desire. Now, again, not out of shame, not I'm sorry for being such a horrible person uh, for having not known that beforehand, but igno- acknowledging and accepting our own ignorance to a certain degree. Ignorance, not as a character trait, but just in the lack of knowledge. We won't know everything all the time. But if we're open to learning along the way, then other people will see that receptivity and say, okay, you know, maybe there's something to that. I'll see how you respond when I when I share myself with you. And the more we share and receive each other, we can be pleasantly surprised and then use that increased understanding to then bring about change as well. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to ask you something, though, because I think you and I are similar. So first of all, couples is my jam, too. So I'm already grooving talking to you. (laughs) My parents were married six times, so I've been a couples therapist since I was four, is my joke to everyone. <laughs> nice. um, you and I are doing something, though, that's a bit counterculture right now, which is we're standing for equanimity, connection, and change at a time when everything is about making the other side evil. And I'm wondering how you work with your nervous system or how you work with yourself or how you keep your boundaries intact to maintain your stance. Because it's because your stance, my stance, is counterculture, right yeah. now. Yeah, in, indeed, and uh, we 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 plant the seed for that uh, as we were talking about the legitimacy of feelings. And I have to make sure that as I'm helping create a safe place for others' feelings, 
I'm taking the time to own mine as well. There are a lot of things happening within my current environment, as well as things that I see nationally, just as everybody else does. And that has an impact. And I have to be able to make sure that I'm owning my feelings, the good and the bad, the, the hard truths and the easy ones, and to be able to give myself space to feel as well. And then when I'm helping other people to be able to separate, not the, the seriousness of it, but to say, this is where I'm investing in someone else. And if I'm not creating enough self-care for myself, then I won't have enough to offer anyone else. Uh, but then I also have to acknowledge while somebody else is wrestling with something, that's their challenge. Mm-hmm. That's their uh, desire to increase their uh, awareness and reduce their ignorance. Uh, it is it's particularly interesting when I have people, uh, when I get to support people in, in the counseling room from opposing sides. If I have uh, opposing political sides, you know, one, one hour I see one person who voted one way and the next hour I see somebody who voted another way or from different faith beliefs or different type of ideolo- ideological positions. I have a personal challenge to try to empathize with everyone, whether they are similar to me or not. And that challenge is not about agreeing with everything they do, but to be able to put myself in their shoes and say, can I understand why you believe this, why you feel this so strongly? So much so that that if I can say, if I were in your shoes, not if I put myself in your body as if it was a movie and I put myself in your body for a day. No, but if I grew up where you grew up, if I had your family, if I had your encouraging experiences and your discouraging experiences, then can I put myself in your shoes and say, I can understand how you came to be where you are. Mm-hmm. If I take that time, not as a stamp of approval, I can still acknowledge the pros and the cons of it. But if I take that time, then I can ask myself the question now, what would I say to that person? What what I once said to me, mm. it softens it. It takes it out of the vilifying who in their right mm. mind could possibly, well, take the time to ask the question. That's not a statement. That can be a genuine question. How did you get to that point? And then speak to that person. Yeah. That changes well, the whole conversation. And I, I can imagine then why self-care becomes important because what you're talking about requires an incredible amount of capacity as a human, especially if you're hearing something that fundamentally goes against what you believe. I have a story to tell, share with you from the sidewalk. May I? Go for it. So we did a bus tour after the last presidential election, and about eight of us flew in from different parts of the United States. We landed in Chicago, picked up a van, and drove through the South, listening on sidewalks, where we were likely to meet people that didn't vote like us. And one of the young gals was Jewish that was listening with us. And we were in Birmingham, Alabama. And she met a young man who she was listening to, and he said that Adolf Hitler was his hero. Uh And she debriefed this with us after, and we had been doing a lot of cultivation of capacity. How do we sit with hard stuff? But I got to say that she's kind of my hero, because I don't know if I could have done that, you know? And she said, well, I asked him what it was about Hitler that he admired, And she said, and he said the darndest thing. I said, what'd he say? She said, well, he proceeded to tell me a long abuse story about how he had been abused harshly by his father. And he was living on the streets now. And that he imagined that Adolf Hitler was the guy that was strong enough to kill his dad. Wow. And so when you were talking, Lambert, about listening to 
the world from the other person's shoes and really trying to understand their story, that story came into my mind because yeah. she said, I couldn't believe that I would ever be a Jewish girl that could <laughs> listen to somebody that thinks Adolf Hitler is their hero. Right. But this concept of hearing his story really allowed me to do it. I was just blown away by that. Indeed, indeed. No, that's powerful. And and yes, you're right. It does take a certain degree of, of stability and not not in the in the negative sense, but in the in the grounded. Know who you are, know your pros and cons. And that's not a, a final once and for all state. That's a growing and evolving uh state. Uh and the more you understand about yourself, the more you can understand about others. Uh and it gives you an opportunity to be more supportive, to expand your emotional vocabulary so that you can understand more of other people's uh, emotional uh, expressions. Mm. Uh, and the more we, the more we uh, are open to that, then the more we can help, especially when we encounter someone who hasn't heard it either. And they, and they share with you, can you believe that somebody else, have you ever heard anything so preposterous? And you can say nice and gently and casually, I, actually, I have. That, that, that's not the first time. I, I remember the time when it was new for me. So I can not only empathize with the newness of that possibility to you, but I, I've done the work to try to empathize with something that was out of the realm of possibility. And because I've done that work, I can help you find your own path as well, not out of judgment, but in out of empathy, joining with, and it changes the whole conversation from how could only, only the good people, only the right people think this. And anybody who doesn't understand, well, that just shows how wrong you are. It's like, or we all have opportunities to learn about others' experiences outside of our own. They yeah. have to learn about us. We have to learn about them. It levels the playing field and it opens up the door for a lifelong path of learning. Mm. Mm. So in your work, I mean, what do you think is your greatest, in what Im lasting impact or change are you hoping to have, whether it's the immediate change in the person or the longer term impact on the culture? What is your big why? My big why is to hopefully create uh, relationships, uh, relationship standards that are a lot harder to to break. Mm -hmm. I want there to be so much empathy. Like I said, my personal goal is to be able to empathize with everyone. And I want that to be contagious. I want everybody to be able to find a desire to say, you know, I just, to, to hear them say something like, I just can't understand why, and then stop, regardless of what the finish of that sentence is, and say, you know what, that tells me I need to expand my capacity to understand regardless of what was going to end that sentence. And I want everybody to be able to take it as a personal challenge to expand their empathy, regardless of what they agree or disagree with, to be able to say, I can empathize. Mm -hmm. Now let's see how we can find some compromise. Yeah. Well, I, we're just going to have to become friends is what I think is going to happen because we are so, <laughs> like we are wired so similar. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, I guess the other question that I have is how do you feel we can get past this current. I mean, this is a hard one because you may, you know, but let's just, let's just spitball. How's that? I don't want to go for it. How can we get past this current election? Cause it just feels like in the United States anyway, I'm, I'm living abroad, but people are really feeling it. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things that I've noticed, at least as far as the, the couples that I've gotten a chance to uh, work with, some are interpolitical couples. They come from different, they have different um, uh, political leanings, uh, affiliations within the same household, as well as just people adjusting to the environment around them. And uh, one of the things that I've noticed in this uh, ongoing empathy challenge 
is the difficulty with the unexpected nature of the results. Oh, particularly, there's, there's often a belief that um, the majority of the people believe like you do, uh, whether it be things that you heard around a dinner table, where you work, things you see on TV. Uh, and when the election came out, it's not just about who won or who lost, but the fact that the country is so divided, split down the middle, regardless of whether you feel you won or you lost, there are millions of people who voted a different way. And we have to be able to live in a country, if this country is going to succeed, which it has for many years and hopefully with many more, we need to be able to acknowledge the fact that we can have different preferences for who does what, what a leader is going to guide the charge and then say, regardless of those differences, how can we come together and work together to have a better, better society as a whole? But when we stop and say, the people who vote against us are the enemy, we don't have anything in common, we don't have anything worth the value to share, either you're for me or against me, period. That's what we need to, to, to build upon, to be able to say, how can we say, well, there are reasons why you chose that and it's not because you're evil. It's because you have different preferences. It's because you have different desires. You have different experiences that you're trying to overcome. You're trying to see improve. How can we learn to listen, see the value behind the differences and then to overcome them? One of the things that, that jumped out at me with one of, one of my couples was the realization that they were wrestling with almost divorce, basically, because if you could vote for so-and-so, then I don't even know who you are anymore. And it became a really divisive thing. But as I listened to them and as I really understood why they were voting for, who they voted for and what, why they supported, who they supported even as a whole, I was able to realize they wanted very similar things for the country. They wanted very similar things for their state, for their community, for the direct things that were going to impact their family. They just had different uh, guesses, different beliefs about which political candidate was best likely, was most likely going to be able to do that. And once they realized that they had, they still had similar values, they, they still had similar desires for their family, for the well-being of everybody they cared about, then it was less divisive, it was less polarizing. Sure, at the end of the day, they still voted for two different people, but it didn't have to come at the expense of their views of each other. And if we can promote more uh, personal relationship values to say, I value you as a person, even though you prefer something different than I prefer then we can have more decisions that are based on those values and that support them to say, hey, I'm doing something different, but it's because this is how I want to show my value for you, as opposed to, well, either you agree with me or I don't value you. So we can have more shared value despite our differences. We don't have to worry about uh, finding only the same people. Okay. Now I'm going to get into the meaty stuff, okay? I'm going <laughs> to get a little, a little political. What you should know about me is Psychology was not my undergrad. Political science was. So I'm interested right. in politics. Okay. And what I hear, for example, a friend of mine um, is living in Berlin from the United States. Coincidentally, she's getting okay. her PhD in history. And she posted something on her social media today that said, um, if you're dating someone who voted for the ex-president, then they're racist. Break up with them. <laughs> Oh, got it. And I messaged her and because I have a very safe, trusting relationship and I, I felt really comfortable yes. also because she's so smart. I'm like, I want to hear your views <laughs> on that. Like what, tell me more about that point of view. But that comes up a lot. We had a sure. couple sidewalk talk volunteers that said we had made these yard signs that said, um, my connection to you is more important than who you voted for. And 
really got some pushback from some of our listeners. And they said, I can't get behind that yard sign because my connection to you is not more important than who you voted for. If you voted for this person, I am not interested in connecting to you. And then I, I've got to bring up the race thing here. Sure, sure. How do you, as a Black man, Indeed. feel comfortable around folks that maybe voted for somebody who would harm you? Yes, and that's yes. the question that comes up all the time. So let's just tackle that together. Let's spin Yeah, <laughs> I like it. Um, there, there's a couple of things uh, that, that come to mind. Uh, one is the reality of people doing, voting, acting, uh, protesting, whatever, the, whatever is in their power to do to protect themselves and those they care about. That cannot be understated. Um, a lot of times people say, well, that's unnecessary. Your expressions are too negative. But sometimes people express themselves in a way that is the most consistent with how they feel, the intensity, the importance, the desperation. And you can't discount the legitimacy of someone's feelings just because they express it in a way that you don't prefer. Right. It's a hard thing to acknowledge, but we have to give safe place for that. And so a lot of times uh, those expressions are coming from a place of hurt, from a place of offense. If because of what so-and-so said uh, and what they did, if you support them in any way at all, then you're putting a stamp of approval on everything that they've done, which means you're putting a stamp of approval on their hurt of me, which means I can't support you because you're supporting my being hurt. And that's where sometimes uh, we need to at least acknowledge what it is we're, we're expressing. Uh, because sometimes the conversation is, if you support, if you wear this, if you post this, if you do anything, that automatically tells me everything about you, everything you value, everything that's important to you and everything that's not important to you, when oftentimes it's not the case. Yeah. Oftentimes people will say, I don't like everything the ex-president has said. I don't like that thing, everything the ex-president has done, everything he's pushed into practice. However, I think the pros outweigh the cons. I think there are things that are important to me that, that he supports uh, and, and the other candidate uh, didn't. Uh, and so I acknowledge that this isn't a popularity contest, they'll say. Uh, and if it was a popularity contest, oh, no, I would vote for him as, as the person who I want to be my friend, to be the model citizen that everybody else should emulate. But if that's the person who is more most likely to support the things that I support, then I'm willing to accept the, the, the cons as well. And so uh, while the other person who's hearing that, who's feeling hurt, may not necessarily view the pros and the cons in the same way. It provides a different opportunity to hear, I see the pros that you're trying to promote. Mm -hmm. There is merit to that. That doesn't mean that you're a horrible person. While also, if I merge the two, while also saying that still doesn't make me comfortable. That still doesn't make me like that or like the fact that you are willing to take the cons mm -hmm. that, that, are, that hurt me for those pros. And that's where it does become admittedly a, different, a difficult conversation. To yeah. say, what are you willing to sacrifice? So some people who aren't experiencing that same hurt, here's, here's that empathize with everybody uh, challenge. I can understand how I can empathize with the fact that if they have not experienced that same hurt in the same way I have, then that's not going to be their highest value at that point. They're doing it based on their life experiences, based on what they value, what they want for the future. And my hope is that with the healthier conversation of both of us hearing each other, I can say, to them, oh, 
I didn't understand that. I didn't hear that all the time on the news or the dinner table. I didn't hear all the pros and the way that you express it and the reasons why you feel like that'd be beneficial to you. Thank you for helping me understand that. Yeah. While also hearing back in return from the other person saying, I haven't experienced those hurts. I never thought about how that could be so hurtful to you. All I hear is people just not liking somebody's personality and they just vilify another person. But now I have a better understanding of how those statements hurt you, those actions hurt you, how he didn't necessarily do certain things himself, but encouraged and motivated other people to do certain things. I never realized how hurtful that could be. I haven't solved a single thing yet, but you've created a different conversation between two people that say, huh, I still may vote the same way I vote, but I don't have to vilify you as a result. I can see how you made that decision. At the end of the day, I can still not prefer it. I can still hope you do something different, but I can understand what you're trying to accomplish. <laughs> and hopefully at the end of the day, you can you can say two people to, to each other's face. They can say, I see where you're coming from. I hope you lose. <laughs> but, I, but, <laughs> but I can, but I support your choice to do what you feel is best. Uh, and then the other person can say, well, I support yours as well. And if, if it's a really healthy decision, they can say, hey, I hope my person wins mm-hmm. and the cons that you fear don't happen. Like, I want to support you. Mm-hmm. I hope that my person on the other side, I hope my person wins. And you can be pleasantly surprised by some of your needs getting met, too. It's not I want to vote against you. The people are voting for their pros. Uh, and 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 trying to avoid some of those cons. And so it's a difficult conversation. It doesn't make for uh, easy solutions. But again, if we're creating a safe place for less polarized, vilifying conversations, then we can be pleasantly surprised by what we hear. And if that can transcend uh, conversations, environments, and, and take place across the country, then we can say, hey, we vote differently. But just because we vote differently doesn't mean you're my enemy. I see what you're trying to do. You see what I'm trying to do. And hopefully we can get the best of both worlds if we start working together as opposed to against each other. Yeah. And as I listen to you, the potential of what you've just described when somebody's saying, hey, I'm voting to protect my family. And here are the policies that I'm voting for because I want to protect my family. Right. So you've listened to that person. You say, well, let me tell you, when you vote to protect your family, because I'm black or I'm Hispanic. I actually feel really threatened because I feel less protected. Because that dialogue is happening, even though it's difficult, where we're both honoring each other with a certain kind of respect in our listening. Because yes. I, I truly do believe it's through that exchange, and I suspect you do too, that we, we come to better decisions because exactly. we get more information. Yes. Yes. And practically speaking, if it's not just uh, the, the constituency, you know, everybody in, in, the, in the communities, those voting, but also the politicians, the law enforcement officers, the policy makers, the judges, if we're having if they're having those conversations, too, then it doesn't have to be. Well, I have to vote for my family, which is against yours. We can change the policies that we're voting on such that it doesn't have to be at the expense of one mm-hmm. or the other. We can modify it and say, hey, can we get the pros here? without being at the expense of the other. Well, I never thought about that. How can we do that? Well, let's get around the table and have that conversation such that what what we're voting for eventually can be something that we can all get around, can be bipartisan, as they say, in a real sense, in the relationship sense, not just we got people to agree to benefit some and disadvantage others, but to try to find the 
policies and procedures that maximize um, the benefits for everyone. Yeah. You know, our, our research advisor at Sidewalk Talk that sort of helps us think about impact and measure impact listening on the sidewalk had done some research and he said, you know, one of the reasons we don't listen is because we don't want to be influenced and that the fear of being influenced or giving up power is part of the reason why we don't listen. But what I heard you say is you said, look, if you can zero in on or get the person to tell that protection story, yes. you're probably going to be able to create a listening exchange because it's it's not based on convincing. It's a based on hearing somebody's really personal story of of. I mean, I, I keep hearing you kind of come back to this. I'm trying to protect myself here, man. I'm trying yeah. to, I'm trying to survive. And that's reasonable. That's understandable. That's something we can all relate to in some way. You don't have a lot of money. You're trying to survive. You have a lot of money and you've built your life around that. Then to lose it makes you feel like you have to do some things that to, in order to survive, to maintain your livelihood, whatever that is, to try to compare and make them look the same, sound the same. That's not the point, but to be able to understand the genuine desire, the genuine need, the vulnerability underneath it is quite similar. And so the ch challenge is how can we honor both and say, okay, things are different, sure, but there's something in under, underneath there that we can manage. And yes, your own livelihood, the people you care about, your family, um, your loved ones as a whole, that can be a shared, an opportunity for shared vulnerability. And if that can influence our decisions, then that's the foundation for a healthy relationship. Ooh, shared vulnerability is hard, though. <laughs> I mean, it's it, hard for a lot it, of people. It's hard because of past hurts. All mm -hmm. it takes is one past hurt to say, I don't want to experience that again. Mm -hmm. I can't let that happen again. And sometimes the thing that scares, one of the things that scare me the most uh, is not an angry person in my face, but it's this idea that um, almost like the uh, phrase they say in sports, sometimes the best, uh, the best defense is a good offense. Yeah. And sometimes people don't want to be as offensive. They don't want to be as angry. They don't want to be as polarizing, but they feel that they have to in order to protect themselves. It's almost like you know some of those nature shows where we have uh, uh, a, a mama lion or something uh, angry and growling. It's like, what made them so angry? It's like, well, they got the, the little ones over off to the side. And right. they say, if I present an angry front, then I can protect the people I care about. Sometimes the people you care about, sometimes I'm protecting my own vulnerability. I'm protecting myself from being hurt in the same way I was hurt before. Mm. But if we can start off from the very beginning and convey directly or indirectly, I'm not the threat that you fear that I am. Mm. I have no desire to hurt you in the way that you've been hurt before. Mm. It, it, you almost see the confused look on their face like, wait, what? That's not what I hear all the time. No, it's supposed to be attack and attack and see who wins. Wait, you are coming with your paws down. I can come with mine down. Let's see how we can help each other out. I'm not the threat that you fear that I am. Mm. Changes the conversation. Yeah, it's so sweet when you just, I just wrote down the, the statement because it's almost a therapeutic, I don't know what your therapeutic modalities are, but the <laughs> statement, I have no desire to hurt you the way that you've been hurt before. Yeah. It's such a healing statement for somebody's heart. Right. I mean, just, you know, and who knew? I mean, what I hear you saying is you could actually take the most difficult conversations and have them be a potentially healing experience. Exactly. Exactly. You know? when, you, when you have it in a way that's unusual, that that's not like they've had it before, when it doesn't have to be one of us has to win, but how can we both win? Mm 
Mm-hmm. It sounds basic, but it's not in practice. It, it is definitely something that has to be done intentionally, but can be done by us all. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I want to ask about boundaries. So, you know, I have a few friends that have lived hard lives. They're living on the margins, either because of their identity or because of their economic status. And they've said to me, Tracy, it is frankly irresponsible of you to ask me to be a bridge builder right now. I don't have the capacity. And I'm curious, you know, how does one know that they're that they have capacity to bridge build, to listen like this, to, to bring empathy into the foreground? Or how does one know that I'm just being a martyr? I'm just going to go out there and offer something that I really don't have the capacity to offer, but I'm repeating something of being the good kid from my family system versus, no, this is a calling. This is what I'm meant to do today. You know, you know this is where I must admit my stubborn optimism um, does influence my answer. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, plus, you, you mentioned earlier, I, I tend to be, you know, uh, a little solution focused. So I, uh, my, my scaling side comes out and I have a difficult time believing that anybody's perfect uh, and knowing everything and have the capacity to do everything, but also that no one is at zero either. It's not 100, it's not zero. And so when you, when you uh, describe the scenario of what if I just don't have enough uh, to hold everything, it's like, well, I believe that we all have the capacity to empathize in some way. Mm. Is it as much as you want or need at the moment? I don't know. But you won't know until you try. Mm. And if you are willing to try and then you realize, okay, I can go this far, but I have to stop, then own it. Not as a sign of failure, but as an as a acknowledgement of, okay, based on my experiences, based on my understanding, based on where I'm at my environment right now, this is my threshold. The goal is not to judge yourself for not being high enough. And is also to not stay there. The goal is to do what you need to do, some self-care, some uh, self-exploration, whether it be through personal therapy, through consulting family and friends, through your own individual work, to do what you need to do to grow, to expand that empathy over time. Hmm. How fast? I do not care. It doesn't have to be as fast as someone else. You don't have to be as high as someone else. Just move so that it can benefit you for your own capacity and your own well-being, but also your ability to help others. You can only give a little bit, give a little because your little might be revolutionary to somebody else. Mm. And if you can give more, then give more because you can and somebody else needs it. But without the comparison to anyone else or the comparison to yourself, you know, well, I'm this old. I should be further than that by now. No, no, there's no time limit to this. We should be continuing to move to the day we die with no uh, pace uh, set. As long as you're moving, then do the best you can. And if you can't acknowledge the, the things that contributed to that. And to say, okay, that's I must still give what I have. It's not zero. I'm gonna give what I have, and that's gonna be enough. And I'm gonna do intentional things to try to help expand that over time. And mm. I look forward to seeing who I can help. Yeah, I hear you saying that you're very aspirational. That what you want people to do is to take an honest assessment. Are you know you don't believe anyone's at a zero. So to get honest with yourself, well, where exactly. are you on that scale? I appreciate yes. that. I think for me, I'm going to answer the question because I'm thinking about it. I think for me, there are some places where I have to stand. And, and that is that um, I'm trying to think more about mutuality. Sure. And I, I have found that there are some people, either because their nervous system is so activated and they feel un- so unsafe, that they're very, very committed to their hate. And I know that I will maybe give too much electricity to that interaction. So I'll try it out in the beginning, but if it feels like we can't get to an exchange, 
you know, different when I'm the therapist in the room and I have sure. the capacity, I have the role of helping everybody regulate their nervous system. But when I'm in a dialogue, I can't say, oh, it seems like you're getting really dysregulated right now. <laughs> Let's take a <laughs> breath. Yeah. Um, but, but I don't know. I'm still, I'm still learning. Even after five years of sitting on the sidewalk, I've, I've grown <laughs> a lot in 16 years as a therapist. Um, hopefully you'll keep on growing. And, and that's a challenge. I mean, you, you described the, the, the lovely dichotomy there of assessing yourself and the person you're talking to at the same time. That's, that's not easy to be able to acknowledge. Are you going to uh, call okay, BS on me? You're going to say, Tracy, that's not even possible, aren't you? No, you, no. Hey, see, I told you I'm stubbornly optimistic. I believe it is absolutely <laughs> possible. Because no, I'm, I'm was wondering. No, I want to learn something from you. So are, is what you're saying, Tracy, it's really hard to assess yourself and the other person at the same time. It's hard for the brain to do that. Is that what you're getting at? No, no, no. I, it, it, it's the exact opposite. I think, uh, you, you know how they say, um, uh, they, they say you, you, they, there's no such thing as multitasking. Yeah. You, you're not exactly doing two things at once. You're just alternating very quickly <laughs> between two different things. And so I think to a certain degree, while you're sharing, you assess how it feels to share. How, okay, I'm sharing a little bit too much. I should scale back on it and see how that goes. And then yeah. with the interaction, you go back and forth, you assess. And then based on how they respond, you assess how well they're hearing you. Mm-hmm. And then you modify accordingly. I think there's a back and forth. You're not doing it yeah. exactly the same time, but that back and forth. And if at a certain point you feel that, okay, I've gone as far as I can go, tap out and say, hey, yeah. this was nice. I'm noticing this as far as I can go in order for this to stay healthy. And hopefully you're talking yeah. to somebody who can hear that. You can own it yourself and you give the same gift in return where you're trying to express some things with genuine, you realize you have more capacity than you thought and you're sharing it in, exact, in, in a healthy way with empathy and understanding, but the other person doesn't seem to have met their threshold. And anything you say on top of that is causing more harm than you say, oh, I think we've come, come to a point, not of judgment, not of, oh, I see you can't handle this. No, no, it's not, it's not a it. judgment place as much as to say, oh, my bad. You know what? I think we hit a good point. I think we've understood as much as we can. Let's take a break and, and simmer on that. Let, let, let's uh, make the most of the understanding we have. And maybe we'll come back to it later with respect to your own feelings and mm. respect to theirs. And it, and it can set an opportunity for you to both want to come back and pick it up later because mm. you had a chance to sit with it as opposed to those conversations never go well, period. Mm. Change the possibilities. This feels so loving what you just said. <laughs> it feels so loving. It's like keeping love at the centerpiece. So sweet. Yes, to oneself and to the one you're sharing with. Yeah, sure seems like a good way to create a safe and happy, healthy world for people, yeah? One relationship at a time. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm so glad we connected. So (laughs) it's a time for us to, to close. And I told you at the start of this conversation before we started recording that we have a ritual and one day I'm going to take all the sound edits because we've got like 40 podcast episodes in the can now and we close the same way but so it's be really fun to hear everybody's all at once but you know we've got 8,500 listeners now in 50 cities around 15 countries and I want to get out of the way this is your time to speak to them these people that frankly, are committed to the practice that you're committed to. And you're welcome to offer them a wish or any words of wisdom. Well, to those out there on the sidewalk, I just want to first say thank you for taking the time to invest in other people and especially to invest in relationships, whether it's seen publicly or just between you and the person you're talking to. Relationship building matters. It plants seeds that impact every relationship they'll have. 
every teacher who you take the time to listen to. You're planting a seed and you're advocating for every student who they come in contact with because you've helped share and you've helped listen. Every police officer, every law enforcement officer, every politician, every faith leader, every parent, you're planting seeds for every relationship to have afterwards. So thank you for planting that seed. But also I want to empower you to recognize that whether you feel immensely competent in a variety of different backgrounds and people who are like you are similar or not, recognize that you don't need to know everything about everyone in order to have a positive impact on someone. We, we all have things that we can learn about someone else and they have things that they can learn about us as well. That levels the playing field and puts the focus on empathy and understanding, reducing ignorance and impacting relationships in a positive way. Because if we can depolarize relationships, we, we can join and unify, then we can solve problems together in ways that we haven't seen before. And it all starts one relationship at a time. I hope you're able to have that impact. Gorgeous. For everybody that's listening, you can find more about Lammer's work in the show notes. We're going to put, there's all kinds of links there. And I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for the work you do in the world. It matters deeply. And I feel like I'm going to rest a little easier tonight knowing that you're out there doing this work. My pleasure. Thank you, Tracy. I appreciate the opportunity to share with the guests. Yeah. Thank you for being here and listening to this episode of the Sidewalk Talk podcast. If you like what you heard, tell your friends, tell your family, like and comment on the podcast publisher that you're listening from and subscribe. This will help us get the word out about changing our culture to one of connection.